Good morning, Discover Church. It's so good to see you this morning. How's everybody feeling? Good, good, good. We are alive and we are with it. I'm so glad you're here. If you're tuning in online, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm glad that you are joining us. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Journey and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. And uh, man, I'd love to talk to you. I'll be right up here, right at the end of the service. And then eventually I'll make my way out to the lobby and would love to connect with you and uh, get to know you a little bit, answer whatever questions you have, get to know a little bit about your story. Man, we are in week three of our Firestarter series, Igniting the Passion for Life Again. That's what we're trying to do because a lot of us have been through Uh, a lot over the last 18 months. Amen? Can we be honest? We've been through some stuff. No amen. Amen all by myself. Amen Amen all by myself. Uh, And here's the deal. Here's, Here's what we've been diving into. We've been diving into this series because even though the events of the last 18 months have bled a lot of the passion, um, a lot of the uh, inspiration out of us over over what we've been through, We're learning that regardless of that, that God wants to be able to do such a work inside of us that we can still have a white hot passion burning with intentionality, with purpose, with passion for life and how we live and what we do that that can withstand all of the things that we're going through. And that's what we're diving into in this series. And we're in week three. Last week we had some fun. I'm bringing my friend back. Uh, cause I just had a lot of fun with that last week. Uh, last week we talked about the spark, right? We talked about the spark and, uh, well, you just have to go back and, and read, watch last week's to know what we're talking about. But in a nutshell, we talked about how there is a, there is a process that God wants us to go through. There's, there are things that we can do that he has prescribed for us that, that if we will do these things, we can, we can start that fire on the inside. We can ignite that passion for life again. And last week we talked about the first step. You gotta, gotta have a spark. You gotta have a spark. And, and, and the spark is what happens when we all come together. Whether you're a Jesus person or not, there's a spark that happens when we come to the presence of God. And this week, um, I want to talk about uh, what's next, because here's the deal. You can have the spark all day long, but if you don't have any, any fuel, then, then the spark doesn't really do anything. So the title of this week's message is The Fuel. Let me hear you say it together one time, The Fuel. The Fuel. All right, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, and if you've ever built a fire, and, and I, I shared with you before, I'm terrible at building fires, getting the spark is, is, is critical. It's hard to get the spark, but, um, but boy, if you're not prepared with the fuel and if you don't bring the spark to the fuel, then all you'll ever have is a spark. I believe that um, what happens is, is that one of the problems for a lot of people who, um, who go to church is I believe that you go to church and that's a good thing and and you'll get the spark. You'll get the spark and the the spark. Basically, I'm just looking for every excuse to do this, right? So so you get the spark, right? And, 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 And woo, that's good. Woo, I feel good. Woo. But nothing more ever happens. And I believe that for a lot of people, the reason why your encounters with Jesus and your walk with Jesus oftentimes don't amount to much more than a flash is because you've not learned or you've not put into practice the process of getting the spark to the fuel. 
And I want to help unpack that with you today. I want to help you understand because you've got to be able to get to the fuel. The early believers, um, and this is what we're studying, we're looking at the early church because these are people who were normal everyday people who were terrified and afraid to go out in public. They were scared to live, but something happened. A fire was ignited in them and, and they began to walk through a process that we're learning about um, as, as the Bible teaches us that there's a process to it and they went through the process and that the fire that was built inside of them burned with such an inferno type heat that it moved them from living in isolation in fear of the government, in fear of people, in fear of what was going on in the world around them, in fear for their life, to a boldness, to a fire that raged so brightly that they ran out of that place and into the public eye and, and drew people to the source of the fire, which ultimately is Jesus. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use the Bible as our guide, the early church as our example, and I'm trying to guide you through what this looks like. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. This is our anchor text for this series because we're seeing in this text these four elements that God has prescribed as starting the fire. And we're going to see, again, like last week, the, the spark was mentioned twice. This week, the fuel is mentioned twice. I want to see if you catch it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and good, divided them among all as anyone had need, and so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. Did you catch the fuel? The spark is when they gathered together and, and, and they spent time doing things that you do together and under the teaching of God's word and praise. And, and we talked about all of that stuff last week. The fuel is what is mentioned right after that, that they gathered together under the apostles' doctrine. They did things together, but then they would, they would consistently go from that place and they would go house to house. They would break bread. They would have fellowship with one another. The fuel is biblical community. The fuel that we're talking about, the fuel that they've prescribed here, the fuel is biblical community. It's important that we understand that there is, uh, uh, um, it's important that we understand what biblical community is. It's a phrase that gets tossed around sometimes. It's a phrase that if you're new to church and, and maybe unfamiliar with some of the lingo, man, let me just start off by saying I'm really glad that you're here because we all at one point were new to a church and didn't know anything about the lingo. And so I'm glad that you're here. We're going to try to help catch everybody up so that we can be on the same page. What is biblical community? There's lots of definitions about this. Um, and, and I spent some time thinking about it this week, trying to, trying to break it down to the most, the most simple um, content, the most simple expression of what biblical community is. And, and this is the, the, as simple as I can make it, that biblical, biblical community is a small group of people where you can share the joys and the struggles of life with. I, I want to say that again. Biblical community, right? The gathering is, is the large group of people. Biblical community is the smaller group of people. 
And it's not just a smaller group of people like a dinner club or uh, you know happy hour. It's not a smaller group of people like you know the boys going to play golf together. Those are good things. There's nothing wrong you know with those things and finding things to get together with other people around. There's nothing wrong with that. But biblical community is a group of people that you gather together and you share life with. You share the joys. And most of the time, we don't have a hard time sharing joys with people. Some of us know some people who spend too much time sharing joy, and it's like, listen, I get it. Your, your life is amazing and grand and awesome, and we all are just blessed to be in your presence. You don't just share the joys, you share the struggles. And when I talk about sharing the struggles, I'm not talking about complaining about what your spouse did or complaining about how busy your kid's schedule makes you or how dumb your boss is. I'm talking about something deeper. Biblical community is a group of people that you consistently engage in the rhythms of life with. Biblical community are the group of people that have garage code access and refrigerator rights in your house. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like if they ask you for permission to get something out of your refrigerator, you're actually offended. Like you don't, I don't need you to ask to get some milk out of the fridge. Get your own self up and go get it. Biblical community consists of the people that you know that you can call at 2 a.m. when you get the call that brings your whole world down at 2 a.m. It's the group of people that you share life with. It's a group of people that you know well enough and that you love enough and that love you enough that will be honest with you and let you know when you got food in your teeth, when your zipper is down, when you got an eye boogie, when you got a pimple that showed up that you know you reverted back to high school for a second and you had a pimple showed up and somebody loves you enough to say, hey, you might want to take care of that. But they are also the group of people who love you enough and whom you love enough that you've built enough relational equity together that don't just tell you when they see food in your teeth, they tell you when they see sin in your life. And we don't like that. That's when things start to get a little uncomfortable. We live in an age where we, you know, we have a, a fuse that's like that big. And we, we have a, a temper that is just, boom, lit. This is what biblical community is. This is something that God has designed and, and wants you to live with. It's the way that God has wired you to need it. In the same way that delicious produce comes from plants that are rooted in nutrient-rich soil, the fruit that is produced from the lives of people who have planted themselves in biblical community is so rich and so abundant and so nourishing that it not only provides for the person who has planted themselves in biblical community, but it provides for the people around them and it draws the people around them to go, man, what is happening in your life that is so much better than what is happening in mine? In fact, it's my belief that 
It's this idea of biblical community that should serve as the greatest distinctive that separates the church of Jesus from the rest of community, from the rest of the culture. And what I mean by a distinctive that separates, I don't mean from the purpose of we got something and you don't. I don't mean like kids in the playground, you know, nana, nana, boo, boo, right? Like, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a distinctive that sets us apart, that draws the culture, that draws the world, that draws the people who were close to you but far from God in because it is a place, it is a, it is a thing that the church offers in such abundance that, that people can feel safe, they can feel seen, they can feel loved, they can feel accepted, they can feel cared for. Can I tell you, for too long, the church has earned the reputation as separating themselves from the world, from being holier than thou, being better than, being I'm so much better than you are, I'm clean and you're dirty, right? The church has separated themselves from that place and we have judged people. We have pointed our finger at people. We have cast people out. And I'm here to tell you that according to the church that Jesus started, he intended a church that did the exact opposite. That it wasn't a place for, for all of the healthy people to gather together to talk about how healthy they are, that it would be a hospital for the sick. It would be a place where people, regardless of what, of what they smoked last night, regardless of who they slept with last night, regardless of what they were involved with last night, that they can wake up with glassy eyes and hung over and walk into the church and feel loved and accepted because Jesus cares for them and because we one day was that person. And it's in the context of biblical community that fuels the bright shining light that the church is supposed to be, that draws the world that is looking for hope in. And so important as this is that God has established, by my count, I, look, I counted them this week, by my count, 55 different occasions, Jesus or God refers to instructions called the one another's. That over and over and over again, he says, do this to one another. To try to illustrate the type of fuel, the type of things that we can find in biblical community that can help take our spark away from just being a spark to something that actually does something. And I want to help teach you some of these fuel sources today. And I want to start off with the one that was my favorite when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I came across this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12 when it said, greet one another with a holy kiss. That was my favorite verse. That was one of the first ones I memorized when I was in youth group. How you doing, girl? It's in the Bible. I was not that creepy, I promise. All right. No, actually what this is talking about, this is just for fun, by the way. I just thought we'd have a little bit of fun. Is it okay to have some fun in church? I hope so. I'm going to. If you don't want to, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have fun. And uh, anyway, this is just talking about a cultural thing. You ever been, uh, you know, overseas or in a different countries? Sometimes I'll greet each other, a little, little kiss on the, on the cheek as a part of their greeting. That's what it's talking about here. So, you know, if you're single today, do not go up to the single lady in the church, fellas, and go, you know, the preacher man said 
greet one another mm-hmm, with a holy kiss. That's just weird and gross. Matter of fact, if you're doing that, that might be why you're still single. I don't know. Listen, I love the single folks in our church. I'm so glad that you're here. Let me tell you, six fuel sources. The first fuel source, my hope is to take things that we know about building a fire, and uh, I want to connect a physical truth that you understand, and I want to help il- use that to illustrate a spiritual reality of the different types of fuel that God, God has waiting for you in biblical community when you get there, and these fuels will take the spark and turn it into something useful. All right, and the first thing, most people know that you can't really have a fire without oxygen, right? You need oxygen. Oxygen helps to, to fuel the fire. Oxygen is, is really kind of the most abundant resource. It's the resource that is really kind of everywhere around you. And so when you're starting a fire, you might have some other things to help you get the fire started, but you got to be able to get some oxygen to the fire. And I want to help you see today that what oxygen is physically to a fire Love is to your soul. That, that God has, has commanded us on at least 14 different occasions to love one another. Look what it says in John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. What he's talking about here um, is a specific kind of love. In the original Greek, there were three different Greek words that are translated into the English as love. There's a, there's a brotherly love, there's a romantic love, and then there is what this type of love is called an agape love, which is a self-sacrificing. It is a seeking the better of others, not self-interested, but only um, serving others in, in, in kind of love. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us when he was on the cross. It's the kind of love that Jesus says that when we love one another, the world will know that we are his disciples. When we, when we don't have the selfish, self-seeking, what can I get out of it kind of love, it's, it's a kind of love that go, I don't care if I get anything out of it, all I care about is you. And can I tell you, you're going to go a lot of places and have a lot of relationships in life that are conditional type of love. If you are in a a job, your place of business, they love you when you produce for them. The more you produce, the more they love. The more they will reward you with a pay raise, a promotion, a bonus, more responsibility. Well, maybe that's not really a you know, demonstration. I don't know, right? But, but they reward you for the love. But I promise you, you go six months without producing, they ain't gonna love you as much as they used to. You see, we go lots of places where a lot of our relationships really are kind of dependent on what we do. What Jesus has called us to be, what he's called us to do is to have a kind of love that is unconditional, that is, it's about your interest, not mine. It's about pushing your ball down the field, not mine. And what happens is, is when you get a little spark, you get a little flame, you add some oxygen to the fire. Sometimes you do it by and it makes the fire hotter and it helps it, you know, go. Or, you know, you can just get you one of these. And, and you can, you can, you can, you know, you can just kind of force it. Now, if the people on the front row had a little bit more hair, it would blow their hair back. But what happens is you get a, you get a fire going and, and, and you get one of these out, Man, that fire will, will like become an inferno. 
It just forces the air. And what community does, what biblical community does, is it takes all the general love that you get from anybody and everywhere that's conditional, and you get into a context of people who are loving you unconditionally, that love you not for what you do, but for who you are and who Christ has made you to be, loves you enough to see past your mistakes and to see the potential that Christ put in you, and they begin to love you that way. It's like forcing air into the situation, and then if you need to, you can turbocharge it. This is mine, by the way, and I like it. (laughs) Y'all can hate on me that it's not gas-powered. I don't even care. Right? So... So the, the, what oxygen is to, to the flame of a fire, love is to the spark of your soul. Let me show you the second source of fuel. The second source of fuel is kindling. Now listen, what's the deal with kindling? Kindling is a small thing that makes a big difference. Kindling is something that oftentimes seems insignificant. Kindling is the thing that I always forget about when I'm starting a fire. It's the little things that the spark can catch so that it can go from a spark to a flame real quick. It's the stuff that's oftentimes insignificant in my house. Now that I've learned this lesson, I like to use, you know, the, the sale ads as little kindling. I like to take it and kind of wad it up, you know, and roll it up and I'll put it in the bottom. And what I'll do is then I'll light the corner of it because with a little bit of kindling, it can take a little bit of spark and it can turn it into a little bit of a flame. Kindling is what helps moves it from, from, from just something that, that you experience in, in, by yourself, something that you experience internally, and it's something that comes into that spark and lets it become more than what it is. Kindling is the equivalent of bearing one another's burdens. It's a small, seemingly insignificant thing for you to go and bear someone else's burdens, for you to go help somebody who is in need. It doesn't really seem like it's a lot. As a matter of fact, it's probably not even something that you would have written down in your journal that day, but you brought that little bit of insignificance into, into a situation that had an immediate big impact. I want you to notice what scripture says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that you bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He tells us that we are to, to bear one another's burdens, that we should come alongside of other people as, as they're going through difficulty, that we're close enough to them to be aware of when difficulty is happening. Maybe the burden that you need help bearing is, is grief. Maybe the burden that you need help bearing is um, just an overwhelming amount of tasks that need to get done and you need some help getting some stuff done. Or maybe the burden that you bear is some very difficult and very weighty decisions that you need to make and you need someone to help bear the burden of praying with you, hearing you out and just helping you process what your options are. You see, when you bear someone else's burdens, it it lifts them up a little bit. And can I tell you what happens is, is for so many of us, when we feel the burden that we're carrying, what happens is if we're not connected in biblical community, then we will fall prey to the lie that says, I'm the only one who deals with this. I'm the only one who's struggling with this right now. Nobody understands what I'm going through. You see, all of that is a part of the spiritual forces of the enemy that is trying to isolate you so that he can attack. 
And so what happens is, is when you, when you are in biblical community and you're close enough that people can see that you're, you've got some burdens that you're carrying that is a little more than what you can bear, when they come in and they bring their little insignificant thing, they're kindling in and they help you carry the burden, they help you bear the burden, what happens is you immediately begin to realize, I'm not the only one who deals with this. I'm not the only one who's going through this. Wow, God, you do see me. God, I've been asking, where are you? And now I know oh, I feel your presence as somebody is physically, tangibly helping me with an issue that I'm struggling with. They're, they're bringing their little bit that might seem insignificant to them and they're adding it to the spark that's happening inside of me so they can light and become something different. You see, that's what happens when you bear someone else's burdens. So when you are in biblical community, when you're connected with other people and the spirit of God puts it on your heart to go help somebody in your community, to go help carry a burden, to go help someone that is near to you, do it. Here's why. Because you don't know, you don't know the sparks that God's trying to, trying to get going and, and, and he needs a thing that works. There it is. Right, like you don't, you don't know what God is doing inside of them and you bringing your little bit could be the thing that helps turn it from a spark to a flame. God calls us to bear one another's burdens because it serves as fuel to the spark. Here's the third one, gasoline. Now gasoline is crazy. I got a can, I emptied it. mostly. Here's the thing we know about gasoline, right? Like gasoline is highly combustible. I mean, it lights fast and burns hot and it, it, it's usually the first fuel source that goes. So what is, what is the gasoline to our souls? What's the gasoline that serves as the fuel to the spark? Let me tell you, it's encouragement. Encouragement is the direct injected gasoline straight into the soul of your being that, that, gets, that gets added to the spark that can allow something to catch and burn hot and burn fast. Notice what scripture says. Scripture says this in Hebrews 13, three, but exhort one another. This word exhort means encourage. Exhort one another daily. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, as, as Jesus people, you need to be doing this so regularly that it, it almost, encouragement needs to be your native language. That you encourage each other, that you encourage other people so consistently and so regularly. Notice what it says, encourage one another daily while it is called today. Don't wait till tomorrow to encourage somebody. Why? Because you don't know, you don't know the spark and you don't know the forces of the enemy that are trying to, to get this spark doused and get it killed before it becomes a flame. So don't wait. No, when God puts that in your heart to encourage somebody, send that text, make that phone call, make that post, send the email and let them know, man, I just want to encourage you. Let me put some gasoline into your soul. And notice what it says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I don't know if you know, but every single problem that's going on in our world is a byproduct of sin. And what I mean by that is I don't mean necessarily your sin, whatever your sin is, but your sin is a byproduct of a, of a broader thing that the Bible refers to as our sin nature. It, 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 we, we, let me put it this way. You, you don't sin, um, 
You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Does that make sense? Right, like, like you're born not as a good person, you're born as a sinful person. We don't like to talk about that, but that's what the Bible says and the reason why, why, why Jesus and faith is so, so important. People say, well, Jesus is just a crutch. No, 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 it's worse than that. You don't need just a crutch. You aren't, you aren't alive and limping. You are dead and buried, but Jesus brings life to your soul. And so encouragement, he says, listen, because everything that's going on in the world that is negative, that is wrong, that is corrupt, that is, that is evil, that is vile, that is wicked, that is painful, that is hurtful, that causes grief and mourning, all of it is a byproduct of sin. So encourage each other daily, regularly, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, what he's saying is, if we do not spend time being encouraged by one another, then as we live through our days, as we go through our week and our month and our year, constantly constantly inundated with all of the ramifications of sin in our world, it will lead you to a place of growing hard. And when you grow hard, you grow brittle. But God's desire is that we're like clay in the potter's hands, that we're pliable and moldable. But once we've gotten to a point where we've become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, then when God goes to work, he does, it doesn't mold, it breaks and it hurts. And what God is saying is, is I want you to be pliable. I want you to be moldable. I don't want you to be hardened by all the things that you're gonna go through in this world. I want you to remain soft and moldable in my hands. And the antidote to becoming that type of hard and brittle and, and jaded and, 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 and not believing people and not trusting people and, and constantly thinking that everybody has an agenda living in such a way where you always have to put your guard up because you can never let anyone in. The antidote for that is encouragement because encouragement reminds you that God sees you and so does somebody else. Let me give you, this isn't in your notes. I added this this morning. I wanna encourage you to do this. Somebody that you love and that you care about, I want you to find a time this week. Spouses, I want you to find a way to do it today. You can either do it with your spouse and do it with your kids, it doesn't matter. This is gonna sound weird and I know it, but I'm gonna explain it in just a second. I want you to start with a sentence that begins like this. The spirit of Christ I see in you is. And then finish the sentence. Now that feels really awkward. We don't really talk like that. But here's the deal. It's one thing to tell someone that their hair looks nice. That'll help them overcome feeling like a train wreck as they walk in here today. But when you look into someone's life and you see the work of Jesus in them, that Jesus has been molding and shaping and changing something on the inside, and when you notice that and you say, babe, the spirit of Christ I see in you is, what it says is, is I see Jesus at work in you. And I see something that looks more like Jesus today than what I had seen before. And when you offer that kind of encouragement, it's not encouragement that feeds the outside, it's encouragement that feeds the soul. The spirit of Christ I see in you is. By the way, spouses, parents, bosses, leaders, employers, be careful with your words. Proverbs tell us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. You don't stop being a Christian when you walk out the doors. Carry this with you everywhere that you go and speak life into people. 
Because when you offer encouragement, what you're doing is you are speaking courage into them. So we've got oxygen, we've got kindling, we've got gas, and the next one, as I was talking to my wife about it, I realized it's a little bit different from city folk and country folk. The next fuel source that God has for you is oil. And I have a little bit of oil here, and listen, I, I didn't know that it wasn't a common thing that people would pour oil on a bonfire. We do that all the time in Arkansas. Usually, if you have a brush pile and you want it to burn hot and fast and be done, you pour gas on it, let it sit for a second, and then toss a match in, and, and it goes. Oil is a type of fuel that you put on a fire when you want it to burn a little bit longer. You want it to burn a little bit slower. When you have a brush pile that's wet, pour a little bit of oil on it, pour a little bit of gas on it, and then light it. The gas will help it catch, and the oil will help it to burn. You see, oil, the equivalent of oil to our soul is fellowship and hospitality. It, it, it's, it's something that God uses to create a little bit of a, of a staying power, something that lasts just a little bit longer. I want you to notice what 1 Peter 4, 9 says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And what he's saying is, it's saying as you live in connection or relationship with other people, it's not if, but when, you're gonna have some things that are gonna rub you just a little bit. Gonna create a little bit of friction. There's gonna be times you're gonna wanna grumble about it. You're gonna wanna complain about it. What God is saying is, instead of complaining about it, create an environment of hospitality, meaning, meaning be, be generous. Stop thinking about your needs just for a second and create an environment that could welcome that relationship in instead of choosing to bristle up and be like, I hate it when you do this. Instead, practice some hospitality, some, some lavish generosity. Create an environment that when someone comes in, they might come in ready to start, start throwing some darts at you from the stuff they're frustrated with, but instead kill them with kindness. Create hospitality. Create an environment where they can come in and they can take their shoes off. They can let their hair down. They can stay a while. Because what happens is, is the enemy's constantly at work to use these surface things to create friction and division. But if you'll model and practice some hospitality, if you'll practice some fellowship, then what you'll see is, and you'll be reminded is, and dear Lord, we all need to be reminded of this, there is way more that unites us than divides us. And when you practice a little bit of fellowship, when you practice a little bit of hospitality, what it does is it, it, allows, it allows that spark in someone else's life to burn just a little bit longer. They might come in carrying all kinds of things and angry and frustrated at somebody or at you, but when you, when you go into biblical community and you find that there is oil there, you'll find it's not just something that's gonna ignite and burn hot and, and be gone, like but you need an encouragement sometimes to help get you through a moment. What you'll find is, is, is a fuel source that has some staying power, some fuel source that, that, that invites you like we used to do around the bonfire, pull up a chair and stay a while. Let's sit around the fire and let's talk. You see, that's what oil does. And I hope this is helping you. I hope this, I'm, I'm trying to help you see because there's too many of us, there's too many of us that, that, that our, our relationship with Jesus just looks like this. 
And it just, that's it. We go from one spark, one spark, one spark to another, and we never actually get to something that's useful. I'm just trying to help you see what God has waiting for you in biblical community. Amen? The last two fuel sources, I want to put them together because oftentimes they're put together, particularly if you're someone who likes to smoke some meat. Any, any barbecue pit masters in the house, praise the Lord, special place for you in heaven. I'm still waiting for my invitation to your table, just letting you know. I am equal opportunity. I love me some good barbecue. When I started getting into uh, grilling, when we first got married, I wanted a, uh, we always had a gas grill growing up, right? And a gas grill, super convenient, like no hate on a gas grill. I'm not going to do that. I still have a little gas grill because sometimes you don't want to mess with it. You just want to light it, burn it, turn it off and eat it. Amen. Um, but I went to a friend's house. He had a charcoal grill. And I thought, oh my goodness, I ain't ever ate a burger on my gas grill that tastes like this one off your charcoal grill. And he said, that's because you're using the wrong fuel source, my friend. I started getting a little bit past that, started getting into barbecuing, smoking some meat and stuff like that. And one of the things that I learned is, is you need, you need some wood logs to be added to the fire because, because the charcoal, the, here, here's what happens. When you, when you put charcoal and wood together in a smoker, what it does is, is, is it allows the wood and all the good stuff from the wood to, to burn that creates the aroma and the charcoal allows the fire to last longer. And so what happens is when like when it's springtime and people are starting to, you know, get out in the back deck and, 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 and light the fire and light the charcoals, man, you can smell a charcoal grill burning from a couple blocks away. And you're thinking, man, like the cartoons just follow the scent. And it just drags you and you land on their doorstep. I'm here for dinner. You see, charcoal and wood, they, 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 they don't have to work hand in hand, but, but they oftentimes do, particularly if you're you're smoking something. And, and what I want you to see is, is that all the fuel sources, the oxygen, the kindling, the gas, the oil, right? Like, like all of those things are really additives to get to the good stuff. You, you, you can get something going with these things and, and you might be able to, you might be able to, to kind of give it a kickstart with some of these things. And, and there's different elements that each one brings that offer something to the spark, to the little flame that begins to ignite. But ultimately, at some point, you need something that's better. I want to help you see that charcoal, charcoal is it's like prayer. And I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about... Um, I'm not talking about the prayer that you pray, although you should pray and there's, there's much value in it. And I'm not talking about, you know, when you email somebody and say, hey, would you add me to my prayer list? I get, everybody in my family knows I'm a pastor. And so like half of the correspondence I have with some of the people in my family is them saying, hey, can you add me to your prayer list? And that's fine, that's good. You should do that and there's power there. But that's not what I'm talking about and that's not, what God wants you to see today. What God wants you to see today is that there's something that happens when you get into biblical community and you begin to be honest. You begin to be open and transparent about what's going on in your life. And you begin to experience the incredible power of when that group of people that you are sharing life with, the people that you want to raise your kids in connection with, the people you want to go on vacation with together, when they begin to pray for you, you see, it's not like gas encouragement where that'll like, boom, get you through the day. What happens when you know 
that you're going through something and you know that the people in your community are praying for you, that they are fighting the battle for you by praying for you. They are lifting you up by name, by specific situations. They are lifting you up in prayer. They're texting you. They're calling you. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. I am praying for you about fill in the blank, whatever you share with him. What it does is is the same way that charcoal, once it gets lit, it just burns. And it just keeps burning. You might have to soak it up a little bit. You might have to add a few more coals here and there. But it it has this stable, long-term burn that happens with it. And what it does is, is it fuels you not to get just past a moment. It fuels you to get it through a season. Because you know that people are praying for you. And the wood, well, the wood is... The wood is the stuff that almost nobody wants. The wood represents the stuff that most Christians never get to. Just like when you need the wood to add it to the smoker, to give it the flavor and to give it the aroma You need the wood which represents confession and correction in your life. Say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean that you get to a point in biblical community where you confess sin patterns in your life. You get to a point in biblical community where you talk about areas of temptation that seem to be nipping at your Achilles heel. What happens is, is wood and charcoal begin to go together. Notice what it says in James. He says, confess your trespasses, that's your sins, one to another, that you may be healed. You see, what happens is, is when we don't get to the point of allowing the spark to be stoked by the wood, then what happens is, is we continue to live in the bondage of our past. And yes, it might be true, and it certainly, let me rephrase that, it is true that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you are not defined by your past. If you do not begin to live with Biblical community providing the fuel source of the wood of correction and confession in your life that, that you may not be identified by your past, but you will continue to live in your past. And that the forces of darkness that I talked to you about, they will, they will wrap their shackles around you and define you by the worst thing that you ever did, the worst thing you ever saw, the worst thing you ever experienced. But when you allow yourself in biblical community to get to the point where you can confess your sin to others, what it's saying is when it says that you would confess, that you would confess your trespasses and pray for another, you can be healed. What it means is, is that when you get into that kind of pattern, then, then the shackles that the enemy holds on you begin begin to open. 
And through confession and prayer, you begin to experience the power of God opening and loosening those shackles so that you can live not only in the positional reality of not being defined by your past, but you can live in the freedom of being beyond your past. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That verse applies to a whole lot of things. But listen to me. We all have our signature sins. We all have those things that, well, it's just that thing. And because of that, we live in this constant cycle of either destruction meaning things always seem to get worse. The world is always falling down around me. Nothing ever seems to work right. Me and my spouse can't ever get things right. Me and my kids can't ever get things right. Things never seem to go right at work. Pick any one of those things. We will either live in a constant cycle of destruction or we will live in a constant cycle of shame. I can't believe I did that again. What's the matter with me? What is wrong with me? And then you go back to God. God, forgive me again. I've, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did it again. Or you go to the person that you wronged with your sin and you ask for forgiveness again and you feel ashamed that you have to be back in that place asking for forgiveness again. But listen to me. God wants you to break out of that cycle. That Jesus said, I've come, you can have life and have it more abundantly, which means that you can begin to live free of that. And in order to be able to live free of that, you're going to need at times the wood of correction and confession. I keep talking about correction. What do I mean by that? Does that mean someone takes it? No. Colossians 3.16 helps explain it. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing, that word admonishing means to warn one another. You know what it's saying? It's saying that that as a follower of Jesus, that you begin to understand and learn and grow about God's word, knowing what it says and what it means. And that you learn from one another as you're learning things. Man, I read this and I learned this and it means this. Oh my goodness, I've never thought of it that way. But you don't just learn God's word, but you admonish that you warn one another. We all desperately need people in our lives that know us well enough that aren't always the person who shares the bed with us, who knows us enough to be able to notice when something's off. And with all of the love and all of the humility, they can bring the wood of correction to put onto your flame so that it can continue to burn by saying, listen, brother, listen, sister, something's not right. And I'm concerned by what I'm seeing. Is there something going on in your life? Is there a sin pattern that has reared its head again in your life? The purpose of that is not to bring shame. The purpose of that is so that you can have confession, so that there can be prayer, so that there can be healing. And it's awkward. I don't know anybody that enjoys telling somebody about the worst thing that they did that week. But what God has established is that if you don't have somebody that you can talk about 
the worst stuff that's going on in your life, the spiritual battles that you're facing, then what will happen is the enemy will come and he will pour water and he will extinguish that spark as quickly as he can so that you can get back to living that mundane, that drab, that boring, that passionless, uninspired life because that is what he takes pleasure in watching you live in. But Jesus wants you to live something that is altogether different. Listen, it's so important that we don't just seek out community. I talked about this at the beginning. Don't just seek out the community of some people, of some buddies, of some ladies. It's critical that you seek out biblical community of people who are deeply and desperately trying to be more like Jesus. Because the people who aren't trying to be more like Jesus will never ask you about the real things that you're facing. And if they do, their advice certainly won't be to point you towards Jesus. It's going to be to point you towards whatever feels best. And I'm just going to tell you that your feelings lie to you all the time. At times, the confession and the correction is not going to be enjoyable. But we need people who are going to fuel the fire in our lives. And at times, we're going to need them to protect the fire that is burning inside of us. Listen, all of this is simply for the purpose of trying to illustrate why biblical community is so important because at the end of the day, life change doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. You can, you can experience the spark here and the spark is critical. The spark is the start. But the real change doesn't happen here the real change can't happen by yourself. You, you can't fuel the spark by yourself. God has intentionally designed this for the fuel to be provided by somebody else. You say, well, I don't know that that's true. I'll prove it to you. Have you ever felt convicted to start or do something, but you never followed through? What that means is, is you had a spark, but she didn't have anybody to fuel that spark with some encouragement. You ever felt the need to, to stop doing something, but try as you might, you're never able to. You experienced the spark, but you didn't, you didn't have the fuel of accountability and correction to help move it from a, from a ought to to a done. You ever felt like you were going to collapse from the weight of the world that's on your shoulders? You see, you experienced the spark that told you you need to take responsibility for something. But it was never fueled by having somebody else that's close enough to you to recognize that weight and to help you bear that burden. This is what community's for. And that kind of community, you don't find those relationships overnight. That kind of stuff is forged over time. Listen, every single fuel that was added to the fire of the spark that Jesus started in us to start this church three years ago was fueled through our community of friends that we had spent a decade and a half investing into. They challenged us. They encouraged us. They help carry the burdens. And can I tell you, we still have some of those friends. I love you, but pastoring a church is hard. 
I'm not complaining about it. It's what God's called me to do. But there are times where the weight of it and the burden of it feels more than I can carry. And so Jessica and I continue, even though it's inconvenient, even though it's difficult, we continue to try to cultivate that biblical community with some of our friends so that they can help us carry the burden. And most of them are people that you do not know and you will never meet. But they are helping carry the burdens that you carry. As I help you carry the burdens that you carry, they help carry the burdens that Jessica and I carry. So we need biblical community. I want to make it practical for you. Because I listen, I know life is busy. Listen, Jessica and I, we've got three kids. All three of them are engaged in an activity this, this fall. First time we've ever allowed that to happen. It might be the last time we ever allow it to happen. We'll see. Listen, it's hard. There's so many competing interests. But listen to me. Your career doesn't matter your kids' happiness doesn't matter. Your marriage or your singleness doesn't matter. If the spark that God is trying to ignite inside of you never gets lit or is not fueled, because there'll be no point to any of it. Let me make it practical and wrap this up and we'll send it home. What can you do? There's three things I want to share with you very quickly. Number one, join a, join a small group this fall. If you don't have a biblical community, take this step. Listen, if you do have a biblical community, praise God, keep, you do you, you keep doing it. But if you don't have a biblical community, take the step and join a small group. Listen, if you're a part of our church and you've been blessed by connecting to a small group, can you just clap your hands for just a second so people know? that they're not alone, join a small group. We're going to be talking a lot about that over the next couple of weeks. Go online, find a group, and jump in. Second, look for people that you can share life with. As you're in a small group, as you're here at church on Sunday mornings, look for Jesus people that you can share life with. Well, I'm not a Jesus person. That's okay. You can still hang out with us. But if you are a Jesus person, you need other Jesus people who are chasing after Jesus to share life with you so that you can get the fuel that God has designed for you to have for the fire that is burning on the inside. And lastly, commit to connecting in a consistent rhythm. Listen, what happens is, and I've talked to so many people, I went to a small group, didn't really connect with anybody. Okay, well then show up and go to another one. It's going to take some persistence. These, these relationships aren't found. They're forged. It's going to take time. So as you show up, you show up to church, you show up to small group, look for some people that you can share life with. And it should be the kind of people that are life-giving, that when, you're, when, you're, when you leave their presence, you feel with a little, you leave with a little bit of, oh. Now, sometimes you're going to have to carry their burdens. That's okay. Even when you leave that, man, I'm blessed to be able to help them. So the people that you connect with, it needs to be life-giving. It needs to be mutually beneficial. It needs to be people that you can connect with on a consistent, and I would recommend on a weekly rhythm. You know why? Because there's a whole lot of crap that you're going to go through in a week's time. The whole lot of stuff that's going to try to put that flame out. And you need to be able to get refueled 
and re-stoked. And that spark reignited in your soul. Why? Why is all of this so important? Because when you find community, you will find God's fuel for your life. When you find your community, where you do all of these things with, then you'll find God's fuel for your life. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.